This is George Lynch, and you are listening to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast Show from Legendary Gear. The time is now, and the season is open to become your own legend. Hang with us as we talk all things hunting to keep you tipping toenails all year long. We've got you covered with hunting, strategy, tips, tactics, gear, and we'll even share some stories from the field and insights from the experts. We'll even cover waterfowl, turkey, deer, elk, bear, moose, and predator. Basically, if we can hunt it, we're going to talk about it. So listen in and subscribe to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast Show. Hey guys, welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast, Legendary Gear. Hi, I'm your host, George Lynch, and uh, coming from you from the rainy South Central Iowa from the call shop from Legendary Gear, where all the magic happens. Hey, we reached out uh, for this week's podcast to uh, some of our uh, ambassadors, uh, Jeff Gillian, Alex Kalt, Jess Luke, and our Canadian friend, B. Latane, and some ideas for some uh, thoughts and, and to talk topics to talk about in our podcast and some of our seminars. And some of, they came back with some great suggestions. So this week's podcast is going to be some of the suggestions and things that our ambassadors thought would be great for the, the beginner, novice, and the uh, experienced hardcore guys that can learn from. So we're going to be from reading. And the biggest thing, again, is what we've always discussed. Down, we're going to be talking about calling, reading ducks and geese, decoy placement. We're going to be talking about your hide. We're going to be talking real important that a lot of guys overlook about uh, respecting other hunters and how to obtain land and maintain that land and, and permission. Um, learning about hunting traffic, how to scout a traffic field, and the difference between hunting in Canada and in the United States. And uh, a little something of my flair that I'm going to throw there more at the end is how to create your own sanctuary feeding spot. So stay tuned and We'll get rolling and, and head along and talking about, uh, first we're going to reach out and talk about uh, calling and reading ducks and geese. When I go through a lot of uh, YouTube and different uh, calling tutorials, I guess we call it there on through social media, um, guys will, you'll hear several guys speaking about how to call geese and basically how to call geese when you first see them, the things that you do. Not once are they really talking about, uh, very rarely do you hear anybody talking about, about reading geese. And it's, and it's the most important thing I do. I mentioned in this past, we were in uh, Illinois, Peoria, Illinois, at the Illinois Deer Classic this uh, past weekend. And we did uh, several seminars Saturday and Sunday. And one of the things of reaching out and talking to the guys is that, uh, you know, what do you guys, I asked a question out there, what do you guys do about reading geese? What's the first thing you do? A lot of them was the first thing was talking about the call. And, uh, and that's great. I mean, we're call makers and we like making calls. We like selling calls. And and, and, and don't get me wrong, sounding like the, a goose and sound, sounding like a duck, you know, still key and it's very important. But the importance of it is about the timing. So I kind of let them, you know, each guy kind of give his opinion of uh, how he starts out when he, when he sees a flock of geese. And... Uh, I'm a big guy with, you know, talking about the flag. I'm big on flags. Um, we talked about we like to use flags if I see geese at a distance. Now, again, from when, a, a, you know, if we're hunting traffic geese or if I'm hunting on the X, either way, it doesn't matter to me. It's if, if I got geese heading into the field, they're coming to me, 
my flagging is going to be not aggressive. I've heard some guys say, man, I first thing I do is I get on that flag and I get very aggressive and start flagging. Well, if the geese are coming to me, I've already got, you know, won half the battle. They're on their way. They see us. The decoys have done their job for the visual effect of it, the visual part of it, you know, as they're coming in. But, uh, you know, when they, when they start, we're given a, what I call confidence flagging, not aggressive flagging, but confidence flagging. We'll get in and we'll be talking about more about the aggressive flagging. You know, that's a different, uh, going to be a different type of way we set up. But, you know, if we're hunting and geese, we're on the X or they're coming to the field, you know, hit that flag. And it, what it is, is a periodic of just of actually giving live movement into the spread. Now, my rule of thumb, and it's it's educating the guy who's flagging in the spread, whoever's in our group is the flagger. You know, it's very important that he is very educated that when those birds are getting the 80 to the, you know, 100 to the 80 yards, that's basically the last time that I'm flagging when those birds, because they have a keen um, sense and a keen ability with their sight and their attention span, you know, be able to detect where that that flagging is coming from and you know connected to that flag is a hand and connected to that hand is an arm and connected to that arm is a body that's sitting inside a layout blind or wherever but it puts the note that the focus on to right to that exact spot so if your height isn't quite perfect or something is sticking out that the you know you've already now drawn their attention to focus on where they saw that movement again when they're about 80 to 100 yards just do the confidence flag will stop and the calling you know is is basically i'm watching the geese not hearing the geese i'm watching the geese if the geese are doing it and they're coming in i'm basically i'm going to keep you know less is a more on that call it's less is more again so I really, if you want to throw a couple clucks, a couple spit notes, maybe a cluck and a small moan, I call it confidence noise. That's not going to hurt you. But going into, you know, now if you've got four, five, eight, ten buddies, now visualize this. If you got that many guys, the more guys, and everybody wants to cluck and moan, now we just sound like a bunch of geese who's active and who's getting vocalized, you know, which in the majority of my spread, which is going to be feeders, and resters in a few centuries not all these active geese so that's a lot of sound coming out of a few centuries standing up again i'm trying to be you know vote just trying to keep them on that string coming in i believe that if you keep those the less weary that you have those birds diving in coming in or looking trying to you know find that sound as they're coming in i think the the better chance of your ambush when you pop out of that blind of uh, catching them by surprise and being able to do follow-up shots and get closer shots. But your follow-up shots is what's important, being able to kill that first and second and possibly that third bird. So, again, whether it's ducks or geese in the same way, again, you know, we're going to stop. We're going to hold that call. Let those birds dictate what they want to do. Now, if they're coming in and something boogers them, then, you know, they want to pull out, then we all get on the call and we all will hammer on those geese, you know, to get that to turn. And it's, it's, it's sudden too. It's right away that we hammer on those birds to get them to turn back in and come in. But, and I've seen this way too many times because they read somewhere in the book, you know, that this is a laydown call. 
So when those geese are finishing, man, you, that's the time to start hitting that lay down. Whoa, whoa, start hitting that lay down call. And in my experience, when we have geese that flare, the geese that burn out, they've lost that attention of coming in. When we get on those birds and whatever it is, the sequence of the rhythm that we're hitting to pull those birds back in, I recommend that we stay on that. Now you can that stay same sequence. You might not you know want to blow it as you know run it and hit that note as hard. We might soften that sound a little bit, you know depending again on those birds. But that sequence that we're doing. We stay on that until they toes are coming to the ground and we shoot the lips off. I mean, when the guns come up and, you know, shoot the shoot them. So same way on ducks and geese, you know, watching those birds. So, again, you know, whatever you see out there and and um, guys are telling, you know, first thing you do when I see geese, this is the this is the call I make every time. Man, it's not the same call I make every time. Each day is different. Maybe if you are doing that and you and your buddies, that might be a good reason why the geese are getting um they're getting tough they're catching on you know they're getting educated because it's the same presentation every time it's the same way you go up to bat i'm you know i don't care how hard a guy throws a fastball if that's all he's got is a fastball sooner or later you're going to start tagging the timing and good enough hitters are going to start tagging that fastball and like a good pitcher, you always want to get your, you know, he mixes it up. He's got three or four or five good pitches that he mixes up and doesn't you know, keep them off balance, so to say. So what I'm just trying to say is that it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. That, you know, this is what I do every time when I see geese and, you know, and I flag aggressive or I do this and it's not aggressive if the geese are coming to you. If I was sitting there and, um, and I'll explain more of this about the traffic. Now, traffic geese, is what we call traffic, is roost to feed where they're feeding. Anything in between there is called traffic. Any field that you pick up in there, because you're catching birds that are running, they're traveling from point A to point B. So what I'm trying to do is find a, actually, I could say point A to point C, and point B will be the traffic field somewhere in between there. So... That calling could be a little bit different. We you know, will have a guy who's uh, flagging, then I will flag aggressive, and we'll talk, and my calling will be more aggressive trying to get him in. But we'll get into that talking about traffic fields. Um, talking about decoy placements, that's one of the good things that, uh, you know, when you ask guys, you know, how do you set up your decoys or do you have a, a way of setting up? Is there, you know, is there a thought behind? Is there a reason why you're setting those decoys? To me, some guys just throw them out, and that's cool. I mean, you set them up, and, and I've watched a lot of good, um, especially on YouTube, you'll see a lot of footage of guys shooting snow geese, speckle bellies, canners, whatever, hunting from fence rows, you know, in the blinds, and they'll throw 10 guys in there. And, every, you know, they're setting that spread out there. You know, they're talking about setting that spread out there about 30 and 40 yards. Same way ducks and ducks and geese are that same. If you're hunting from an edge and you set the, the that spread out there, them geese are going to want to land outside that spread. So, you know, we'll get in talking about, I like to hunt with the taper if I'm hunting in a fence row, hunting on a corn edge, hunting in standing corn, hunting over wheat stubble or pit corn. You know, you use, I set my furthest. I have one decoy that I set out the furthest. And that is a guy who always, we know is 40 yards. Or if it's your limit, you want to set 30. But I always set the, I have centuries that I set out at 40 yards. That's my strategic decoy. And basically running and in my spread um i like to set up what I, a lot of times what i call 
and the decoy setup, I like to run a loose J. A lot of guys who have followed me and listened to me uh, have heard what the loose J, heard me talk about loose Js. But if you can imagine a J and with the hook and as the arm comes up, you can either run that straight. I like to run as I get near the end of my J. I like to taper that J arm out just a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the cool thing about that running that j and running not running you know a c or you know you're running a uh, v type of deep whatever you're setting you know you're pinching the birds have to be pinched into that and when birds start getting tough and getting hard to shoot a lot of times that's when you know they say they're decoy shy they'll start varying away from them decoys to get a good look to make sure that they're not flying into an ambush so and this this setup works really great with snow geese So I like setting up on, on, the, on the apex of that J, you know, the hook. We'll pile up the feeders in there. I kind of do like a little arrowhead to the point of kind of how we set those out. On each point of, of like at 2 o'clock and 10 o'clock out there, I'll throw a couple centuries out there with, with, a, with a rester on the ground and kind of looking like you're, uh, again, a natural looking like a... Uh, a bird that's content, and the other one is what I call the coyote watcher. Put that out there. As that hook comes around, I, I can, I'll still have my feeders in there, and in a couple centuries, not very many, just one or two as we're going out. Now, if the birds are working good and coming in tight, and you want to get them, if they're hitting that really tight, and this, like I said, works great for traffic, works good for, you know, if you're on the X, just depends. If I'm on the X, I use the less decoys. If I'm running traffic, I'll run more decoys, but you know pretty much get the idea it's just it, numbers depends on the field that we're hunting but basically we're if we're, if they're decoying good we usually put your strongest caller you put him upwind and the rest of the hunters will be downwind from him and what i like to do is that if we have a straight wind flying into the apex of that j as that arm comes up what we call a crosswind then i like to put my hunters and myself you know, we've got three or four guys who I like to hunt with. We will sit in that cross arm with the decoys all around us. There you can mix in some silhouettes if you want around the blinds, along with the full bodies. As you know, Basically, the silhouettes work great of, of hiding the blinds in. But we'll run more of what I call a crosswind, which is really cool because that crosswind sitting there and as those birds are working in. And <laughs> this works great if you let the guy who's, you know, completely upwind do the calling and the guy's downwind, wait for him to make the call because of the guy, last guy, you know, wants to shoot the birds is that he can't help it. And he's overwhelmed when the birds are right in front of him, yet haven't made it all the way down the lane. He starts shooting then, well, he's going to be sitting in the truck with the dog. And actually, the dog's going to take his place. But it works good if they let them birds suck in. Their attention span is straight in front of them looking at that hole. That's a good time that to put motion you know, if you're going to have motion on your decoys, just in that spot. To me, motion goes, you want motion where you want the bird's eyes to be. And that and that putting their eyes is going to be away from me. I, I don't want their eyes looking for me, hiding in that blind. So what I'm saying, if you're sitting in the apex of that hole and you're doing that flagging all the way and you're flagging aggressive, those birds are keyed in and locked in on that location. So this whole time as they're coming in, you know, their eyes are right there. And the first thing, what happens when you open the blind, you're flaring birds and then you're starting to shoot. And then second and third shots, you're shooting birds flying away. With the crosswind, 
letting the birds suck in and coming in on this on this, this setup. The cool thing is, you know, you let the birds work till everybody's got a shot. You know, you're all in killing uh, good killing range. You, you know, they're in 20 within 30 yards because basically I set on my hook on the other end. Again, I talk about strategic decoy. I'll have a sentry there and it's just a rule of thumb. I always know that I got my decoy you know the, anything that's inside that is 30 yards it's ready to shoot it's kill time uh, sometimes it's very easy and it's happened to me to misjudge the geese weren't quite as close as you thought they were when you were looking through the blind screen and, and you come up and it's like everybody like oh man you misjudged that and uh and then we still shoot and we're educating and you might cripple some but you know and, and these ways of my ways of that i'm doing not saying it's the only way but my way these all come from years of hunting and years of guiding so i'm you know as i've spoken before you know we come up with this because when you're your money that you're getting and your paycheck when you're a guide you know the more you get successful kills and more that you have birds and you on the on the feet of your clients the better your your tips and the more you're going to get paid the more you're requested so you got to be successful you know guy clients aren't gonna it might be cool to listen to somebody really good on a call for the first half hour but after flock after flock they're not pulling in and we're not finishing up and we're not shooting birds in our face your calling ability isn't that important anymore so again um with this hunting across wind you got the bird his eyes are right on that apex of that hole now to the side here we are so when you're coming up, the reason I'm saying it, so when you look at the side, I got necks, heads, I got organs all open, you got wings, so much more uh, to get uh, good killing shots. It's an angle for better killing shots, but a lot of times, you know, it depending on the strong wind, but on any wind, when them birds get flared, a lot of times they'll turn with the wind to head out of dodge. Why do they turn with the wind? Well, it's the way he can fly out of there the quickest, and um so not every time, but majority of the time, they're going to choose to pull with that, you know, turn with that wind. So what you've got now is birds, instead of being going away from you, either going straight or they're going to be probably nine times out of ten, a quarter and away from you. You still got good wings. You got organs open and a possible headshot in there. So to me, it's a more ethical type of shooting. It's a more ethical on your second and third shot, not just crippling birds, but having more chances to have organs and, and wings and stuff like that that you're that you're uh, taking an advantage of. So that's why decoy placement is so important with me on that. And like I said, I kind of mentioned in on the hide and you know how we move and, and using that loose J and where to put the hunters and how we hide and where we hide again is places that the, we do not want the bird's eyes looking you know it's you're you're pulling back away and um you know, so as these birds come in you're not in their sight of pattern or their pattern of sight that's what i'm trying to say you are off to the side and you know it's easier to sneak up on someone once he's walked past you than it is to come from the front and then run at him he sees him and he knows what's happening coming from behind Wow, he's in trouble. And so when I talk about the hide, and of course, everybody knows of the importance of having being concealment. If not, they should. And if they learn that, they're probably going to start being more consistent if they haven't paid attention to it. And there's a lot of great camo out there. And guys, what camo? Well, we've been, you know, I've been a Sitka guy for one of the first days that Sitka came around. And it's great stuff. But I do not depend 
on Sika or Mossy or any other camouflage that is going to hide me altogether and depend on that. Um, you know, it, it's to me, it's the comfort, the, the durable of the, the, the clothing. I do like the camo does help blend in, but I, I you cannot mistake and beat what I call God's camo. And that's basically whatever you're hunting in, whatever the natural vegetation in that field, that's what you want to use to hide with. I don't care. I hunted years ago. We did a film, a hunt with Michigan Outdoors. And um, some of you guys in earlier podcasts might heard that we were talking about it. But we did a hunt where we hunted a cucumber field, a pit cucumber field. And I never knew that, but Canada geese love cucumbers. We even shot an orange collar out of that field that day in the film on the hunt. But what uh, we did, you know, you look around and it's a bare ground. And instead of risking, you know, putting a, a blind up, and even though that blind might be in shadow grass or it might be in real tree, wherever, you know, or mat gear, whatever it was back then, the blind's still going to have, you know, it doesn't blend in with that natural vegetation, the dirt. And so what we did, we dug down, took shovels, dug down um, like two feet into the ground and tapered it uh, so our legs weren't down as far. But... Um, Actually, excuse me, I had that backwards. We tapered it so the legs were down further. Your butt wasn't as far down into the ground. But what we had is they took remesh, concrete remesh, and they cut a big hole. And it had it was made so you could lay this remesh down. It had a door we could open up, and, they, and it laid flat on the ground. So when you laid that down, we thatched it all with cucumber vines and just, just had it loaded up. I'm telling you, when you stood back, it was completely flat was it the most comfortable thing no i'm not gonna tell you it was the most comfortable thing we did have pads and stuff we used but you know it was very successful we had geese that were on on the toes and you look back was it it was a little effort that we put in there and again i would um recommend that you get the landowner's permission before ever digging a hole in a field that and if you do always make sure you cover it back in fill it back in but if you got the okay and you and, and prove that every time you fill them back in and you rake it, you know, rake them back up. It is a killer way. It takes a little effort. But again, you've got sometimes to be successful. You got to go outside the box, outside that fence, a little bit different what your what your competitors are doing, whoever, and that's whoever is in the adjacent fields, whatever. You want to do something that's more natural. You want to be the guy that has the most natural look out there. It, it was a killer. So that when we're talking, there's two types of hides. To me, there's a hide in the spread and the hide out of spread. Now, the out of spread, I'm going to get talking. That's going to be your fence rows, peninsulas, you know, standing corn, uh, anything like that, that we sit on the edge and the landing zone is going to be out in front. You're out of the, the, the path. You're not into the decoys. The decoys are setting out. It is a great way. I recommend this a lot of times to the guys because out even out here in Iowa, the first thing I do is we're blessed. We have a lot of our fields out here on terraces. What I mean is that there's the height differences um, in the field, and there'll be strips where brush and maybe they put irrigation pipes and stuff like that. You'll see them standing up the big orange pipes. Well, I that tells them the different level of the field has changed. That each level of that field is changing. 
well, changing like that, it's a great way. We set up and hunted coyotes in A-frames this way, but it's a great way to tuck your A-frame onto that downside of that terrace, thatch it all up. So when the birds are up above, you have the terrace. See, they're, they're not on the ground, but they're from up above looking down. But there is a soft line that that blind has a backing to back right in and disappear. Um, same way. And when, I, when we're hunting terraces, I kind of set decoys on both sides. I put the majority on the downside of that hill and a few on the upside. And a lot of that is those birds, when they see that birds on the upside hill more, they'll start locking. And a lot of times they know they're going to swing. But, man, a lot of times they'll come right over that your top of your A-frame because they can't see the A-frame. They'll do a, a small, a slow pass 20 yards right above your heads. And that's a good time to, to cut their necks, heads, and bellies, everything open. It's a great way to set up. If you're going to set up on a fence row and or set up in the woods, you know, it's great. And I was talking earlier, I mentioned, you know, you'll see a lot of guys do this on social media and the YouTube and videoed hunts and a lot of calling and the birds coming down, though, they're setting. When you set your decoys out there um, 30, 40 yards and you have a straight line running back and forth because of predation, because of uh, danger, that pretty much I will say the majority of your birds are going to come in. They're going to hit that wind and circle out and, and, and short stop. They're going to go on the outside, many, many times land on the outside, either right in the decoys or on the far side of those decoys for the fact that, you know, keeps them from danger. They don't want to be, excuse me, the geese between the, you know, the, the cover and the other geese. They want to be in safety in numbers, but being on that other side. If you know that, that's how they think and, and what they're doing, you can adjust for that. And you know, like I said, when you're setting them out at 30, 40 yards, you're going to be shooting 40 yards and probably 50 yards on your birds. You set it up that way. It isn't the birds that, because they were tough to kill. You basically set it up and opened the door for them to land there. So what I like to do is I'll go uh, downwind a ways and then we'll set some, I'll set some decoys probably 30, 40 to 50 yards out there. And as they're coming up that line, I will taper that line and pinch it towards past, you know, whoever upwind is the last hunter. That's where I will pinch and then curl and make a pocket. And again, you might call it a loose J from there, but that J will start there and then taper out and loosen out. Um, what it does it, when geese, are, you know, if they are a little shy or if they are a little bit unsure, by pinching those close and the ones outside, you can actually guide them birds. They'll actually follow that taper. And even though they're not dropping in the first time in, a lot of times they will drop to 25, you know, 30 yards or 20 yards, and they'll follow that taper and go right, especially if it's standing corn you're in. Oh, my goodness, it's murder. You especially get out of some pickle buckets and sit back about two, three um, rows back into that corn. And those birds, when they come in, a lot of times they'll, they'll follow that pinch in and they'll hover about 20 yards above the corn and getting their hook, getting ready to hook to come back around. Great time to shoot them then. You know, if you want to wait for the hook for them to come in and, and that they'll land. But, you know, to me, anytime we got the, that they're coming to us, not going away from it coming to us and that they're at that 20 yard mark, it's pretty much it's you got the open uh, sign and, and to shoot them. And I think you'll do pretty well on that. But just remember, and, you know, think about it a little bit, how you set it up. And once you start, you can utilize the power of that decoy, not just calling. 
Now, you heard me talking that I've really stressed a lot about being concealed, using natural vegetation. I've talked about, you know, flagging, but flagging from a distance, flagging just enough to get them to, to be sure to come through. You know, if they see movement and it helps. Um, so we've been stressing a lot of that and how we place that. And I really haven't been talking about the calling. Again, the reason why I'm doing that is because calling's important. But it's, again, you want to dictate and let the birds um, dictate when to call. Like I say, if they were coming in and they hung out there, and here's your setup or whether, you know, you got the hook. If they're hanging there, and I'm not sure what they're going to do, I will make some noise. I'll do a couple spit notes, a couple spit moan, spit moan, spit moan, and then stop. And and in, it isn't how many notes you do it. It's a, a couple quick spit moan, spit moan. That sounds something. <coughs> kind of hit him with a couple of quick spit moans just to get that bird to give me a reaction. Now, a lot of times you just a couple times that a couple quick spits will give enough that they'll come in and finish up and, and light in the hole. If, uh, they do give me a little bit, but still want to pull back out a little bit. Then you can start picking up and then start adding a little bit of aggression to your call. And then if they really want to hang, then all, everybody can chime in and then turn on the music. And again, if they don't, then you didn't lose anything. You didn't hurt yourself. But again, I'm letting the geese dictate what I'm going to do in my call, what I'm going to do with my call. That is so important. Again, be careful when you're watching out there and in a seminar or you listen to, to an instructional, some type of video, you know, this is what I do every time when I see geese. Again, the call doesn't dictate, the geese dictate what's going to happen. Good rule of thumb to remember. So um, we got in talking about the hide. We talked about decoy placement, uh, reading the ducks and geese, talking about basically, you know, it's the same thing with ducks is basically reading with geese. One rule of thumb I will say, and, and probably more with ge or ducks, excuse me, more with ducks, but it is still a good rule of thumb with geese as well, is that remember this. A duck, I like to blow at the side, run that call, you know, hit that side, and as they're going away, you know, you're, you're going to run that call, you know, throw those notes on the sides and as they're going away, at their butts, at the side and the butts, always calling at their side and at the butt. It's a good rule of thumb that... Uh, always remember so when they're coming in it's always letting them give them an opportunity to finish don't blow them out of the hole don't blow them. i bet there's been more duck calls that saved more ducks lives than anything for guys blowing them out of the hole and it, the same way with geese we're going to talk you know mentioned earlier talking about hunting traffic and uh like i said there's two types of hunting with me there's there's the hunting the x and that X, what that means is you're hunting the spot that the, the birds are going. They're naturally going there. Um, they've been coming there every day. They haven't been blown out. So those geese are on the X. So that, they're, they're coming there. To me, when I'm hunting the X, you know, again, even though there might be 300 geese in that field, I if I could get away with a hide, and it's all about having, you got to have the good hide first. And it's not all the time about, hey, if you got six guys, you got eight guys going to hunt. If you got eight guys going to hunt it, I, this is how, if I was on the X, this is how I would hunt with eight guys on the X. I would go out with four guys, set up in my hide to hide four guys, 
get those birds and not using a whole bunch of decoys to have to hide eight guys because you cannot lose those first birds coming in. And if they're coming on their strings once they start coming and then right behind them, you know, the first geese know that that field pretty much is vacant when they reach in there. And again, they talk about it. They, well, then they show up if two weeks of going there every day and the, and the parking lot's crowded, they're going to go around and leave. They're going to go to the next place. And it's the same way. So once you get those first birds, and if you lose those first birds, and there's other birds coming behind them, definitely with spec, uh, specks and with snows, you lose that first bunch, it's follow the leader. And you basically, you know, it's screwed up. But what we've done a lot of times hunting with, you know, if I'm going to put more than four guys out in the field, you know, if you had eight guys, we'd go out with four guys first. And if our limit's two, three, whatever, we'd have two valleys, boom, boom, switch guys again, put another four guys in there, boom, boom. Again, what we're, we're trying to film, a lot of times we were filming. So you're trying to get the, you want those birds to suck up into the hole. You want to get that maple leaf. You want that down. It's really tough with eight guys trying to get a good hide, trying to control uh, eight guys and everybody's in their shooting and who, when to stop shooting or when to shoot. But, you know, if you've got a bunch of guys you want to hunt with it, maybe look at switching your groups. And, and after, you know, one group gets their limit, pull out, put the next group in, let them get it. You know, I like the rule. Of, to me, it doesn't matter how many groups I've got. If each group, you know, we give guys three, you know, three volleys, you're out. Three volleys and out. And try to remember that, you know, also if there is only three or four of you. And say you've got, you know, one goose to go for a limit or two geese to go for a limit. I will choose, like I said, instead of educating, you know, you got a group of 10 or 12 birds come in and we're going to drop one bird out of there. There's two things. There's a danger of wounding another bird um, that's, you know, that you could cripple and go back to the water and then die. Or you could have another bird drop and, and cause you to go over the limit. And it's, it's to me, it's risky. It's just, it's not worth it. Uh, it you know, take the egos out. It's about, uh, you know, getting quality hunt and, and a full limit isn't always a quality hunt. To me, it's about the quality experience. So I would rather have one volley on my on the deck at my feet and we come up and, and, and everybody, you know, we shot good, but the, the action was right there. Then to have four or five volleys that we were shooting at 40 yard passing by and shot three and four at each flock. That's how you educate birds, and that's why it gets tougher as the season goes. Uh, so that's basically I'm talking about hunting on the X. When I'm hunting traffic field now and scouting a good traffic field, again, I might be looking. First of all, I want to know how many people are hunting in my area. If you know how the pressure and where they're at, I also, I'll be honest with you, I want to see their. I'd like to see how they're setting their spreads. I want to know, you know. I'm not really worried as much on their calling. I have, you know, to me, I have enough confidence with uh, my team and my guys and myself and hunting that I don't have to worry about about the calling aspect. But I want to know how many they're using. Are they using full bodies? Are they using all silhouettes? You know, if they're using all full bodies, maybe you can uh, up it up and put three-quarter silhouettes and use a quarter full bodies. Again, I'm trying to be something different. If guys are hiding and, and using A-frames out in the field, maybe I'll try to take advantage of hunting and using a peninsula that jets out into the to the field, whatever that gives me, you know, the natural vegetation. Hunters can be lazy, and hunters can sometimes not put the and waterfowl. Trust me, it's hard work. I mentioned that 
many times my wife is a newcomer into hunting and she, she says, oh, and she likes to deer hunt. She's been successful. We do deer hunting. We do uh, coyote hunting. You know, we do turkey hunting. We do the, the waterfowl. Definitely waterfowl is a lot more work, especially when there might be just two or three of us. It, and, but I'm telling you, the extra work, it's so easy just to throw a blind and just get in it and think, well, it's covering me up. I'll be all right. They just come in. That extra effort to sit back, look at the situation, look at the cover, you know, taking the extra time to thatch and and rake a good, and I'll tell you what, a good waterfowler worth his salt definitely will have re, uh, leaves, leaf rakes with him. He'll have hedge cutters, you know, weed whacker. You could have all kinds of stuff where they'll go to the fence row and, and use the hedge trimmers, a battery operated hedge trimmer or a weed whacker and cut a bunch of brush and then get it in bundles and just carry everything over and thatcher and it. It really, once you get it down, it becomes an art. The art of science is science of, you know, uh, camouflaging and, and getting that hide in with that. And, that, and it's really, it's it cool because once you're into it, you're kind of competitive with your buddies who can thatchers up the best. And, and But it makes a world of difference. And um, so what I'm looking for, I want to know, you know, pretty much where guys are hiding. But traffic is trying to find that field. You know, like, again, I say A is where they're roosting, C is where they're feeding. B is going to be that field in between there. Now, it's going to, sometimes it's tough if you're not hunting with birds that come, you know, completely over you. Because a lot of times if you're in the same field that they're feeding in and then that line of path, um, you know, they, they, they could have already been feeding in your field. Usually the traffic well, might be a quarter mile past your field. So you definitely, when I'm scouting a field, I want to know, number one, the line of path that they're taking coming to me. And if it is a line, a pattern that say that they're quarter to half, you know, probably a quarter mile off my field, then I want to be able to be visible. You know, I do want part of my field, if they're going to a cut cornfield, I do want to be set up majority and trying to hide in a cut cornfield. But I tell you what, if you can find a field that has a short wheat stubble, uh, old, a short alfalfa field that butts up, or a pick bean field that butts up to that cornfield, you know, what a great way to set up in there. reason I like that, because if I'm not hunting in the above, you know, over the flight pattern, if I'm hunting for geese that are off to the side, those decoys will stick out and show so much better um, sitting in the beans. Now, I have the corn for what they want. You know, they still got the corn, but by utilizing that bean, it's a couple birds of water. They can visualize, they can see that. And I like using, you know, a bigger flock. Definitely using a lot more decoys than what I'd have to use um, if I was hunting on the X. Also, depending on how many guys and if you have two A-frames put together, how many blinds. Of course, again, with less guys, I'm going to use less decoys. I'm going to use the least amount of decoys, not because I'm lazy. I'm going to use the least amount of decoys and build up as I need them. I'm not going to start out the first day with all we got and everything, the whole spread, because then you'll start becoming oh, monotonous. You'll, be, you'll look the same in every field. I've, and I've hunted with guys that, you know, they got a trailer full of decoys. And every time they set up, they're going to use every decoy that they have in that in that trailer. And I think after a while, birds get conditioned. Uh, the ones, especially, you know, dumb ones are dead. And the ones that start getting wise, they start getting conditioned, you know, to that certain look. I Now, they don't count, but they definitely know that certain look that isn't what real geese look like. You know, you might have 
fooled them at the beginning, but after a while they catch on to that. So to me, I like to start out with as little amount of decoys that I have to and let the geese again, just like calling, but let the goose, you know, the geese that you're hunting, the ducks, whatever, you know, let them dictate how many it takes to get them in to pull it in. And then when I talk about flagging, this is the time that aggressive flagging that I use. And I was mentioning some of the seminars this past weekend that I did a hunt years ago with Mike Avery Outdoors. We had a couple of cameramen. He, Mike has a radio show. Every year we calls and I do an interview with him and he always brings up this hunt. But we were in northern Michigan hunting with Jay, the uh, Bill Hahn and a couple other guys from Jay's Sporting Goods, my good buddies. And we were in a wheat stubble and it was that second week of September. And I remember telling my asking the guy that had the field and we were setting up in the dark i said man y'all ain't got no chopped corn around here do you because ah, i'm not quite sure well it didn't take long after daylight about a quarter mile you know down the road the geese coming over the trees they're already maple leaf and heading down they already found they, they had chopped corn um we had told the you know, we had a flagger and we had me doing the aggressive calling but as I look down, the guy's laying in the blind, and he's just he's just moving that flag with his wrist in, in probably a six-inch, eight-inch motion. So I finally, I asked him, I said, hey, can I borrow that flag? And I grabbed it, and I ran to the top of the hill, jumping up and down. And I was flagging that flag from almost eight feet down to the ground, swing it back up, back down, and running on top of that hill. We pulled, I pulled three different flocks from coming over them trees, starting to maple leaf by doing this aggressive flagging. And as they were coming, I'm running and running the one arm, running back to the, the blind and, and flagging that thing as fast as I go, jumping in the blind. And then we shot in, we shot some geese and we shot into all three of those that came in close enough uh, and got our shots. Mike was joking, you know, first time he saw that, thought I was lost my mind. And I was told him, I said, no, when, when things aren't happening, I go as aggressive as aggressive as I can be uh, to make make stuff happen. It's got to happen, and um, and that works. And that's the time that you want to be aggressive on that flag. Same way though, whether it's traffic geese or not, when they're starting to come and they hit 80 and 100 yards, that's when I will quit flagging. I want their attention on the killing hole. Now, there's one thing I was discussing, and I like to use a hand flag a lot. I got one that we designed up, and we'll be putting it on our market here pretty soon through Legendary Gear, but it is a badass flag, and it is a killer, and it's convenient. But when flagging, and uh, this is, works, you know, this was a snow goose trick, but it works on honkers. If it work on snow geese, it will fool a honker, because snow geese can be tough. But what I like to do is you're sitting there, and you got traffic geese, and they're coming, and you're in the big spread, and you have a lot of birds. you got that lead bird that kind of brought him in. Well, he'll swing around and have that uh you know looking as i'm coming as they're coming to you though if i make any motion and he's coming to me that all sticks out in eyesight not just him but the whole flock is looking what i like to do is when they circle behind and they come around now is they're they're not coming into they're going away they're going to hit a point just before that lead goose hits that point that he's either got to turn in or he's got to fly out I'll take that hand flag, and because we're in, into the decoys, I'll run that hand flag about a foot to two foot above that decoy and just sweep it a couple times to get movement. Now, that movement is enough that, that catches a lot of times it catches their eye from the side. 
that gave me, I made their mind up, helped them make that decision. And all I had to do is turn that. If I get that lead bird to turn, there's a good chance we're going to get two or three or the rest of the flock to come in. It's so flagging and then doing that finesse flagging on that curve is a great way um, to finish those, those birds up. So I'm going to lead off here. Um, last thing I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about how to create your own sanctuary feeding spot. And what I call a sanctuary feeding spot is a, a feed that the geese can have or ducks, but mainly we're talking hunting ducks and geese in the field, but geese, but is a field that is basically that no one can hunt it. No one can ever hunt it. You know, those birds will go out of their way to fly there because they are not harassed. And the cool thing about that, especially in the late season or in the early, say that November, last of October, I always said, you know, when the molt migrators, you know, when, when September and so late second week of September, when you start getting the three and four days of north wind, get your butt out in the field because those molt migrators are going to be the first one to fly down. They're going to take that tailwind, and that's when the migration is going to start picking up from there on. So when you start getting, you know, Thanksgiving and when you've got a full of migration and local geese boshed together, the the field that holds the birds are going to keep attracting birds. They know they're there. And it's been it's numbers and safety. Now I'll be hunting the bee field. You know we've always got our bee field locked up, which is from A to C. But what we the ideal spot is 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 when you find that, and if you have uh, a field that's next to it adjacent, I'm telling you what, if you have to lease that field, but lock that field up that no one else can hunt in that field. What we'll do is we'll go in as we go to set our traffic field, go over to that field and maybe throw six, six full bodies, leave, go do your hunt after hunt, pick them up. And maybe the third or fourth day, you know, we keep each time we hunt it, we keep adding another dozen decoys, two dozen decoys, you know, maybe by the week I'm sitting there, maybe after four or five days, I might have three or four dozen decoys out there still not hunting it. I'm just putting those birds. What will happen is that those decoys will start because there's so many birds going over and they're feeding on this field, but birds are opportunists. And you'll start pulling some of those geese from that field that was going to the big field will start jumping over. And if you can watch that, and if you, you watch yourself after you hunt or have one guy, you know, as you're hunting and the birds fly, drive by it real quick and say, man, we're starting to get birds piling up in our field. They're starting to come in. We'll watch those birds. And when I start getting to 100, 150 birds that are jumping them from the other bird, that the other field that might have had 1,000, might have had five, 600 in there, you know, when they start hopping over there and we'll give them a couple of good days to get used to it. Then what we'll do is we'll go in and slide. And of course, each time, each night when I'm done hunting the, the C field or the, excuse me, the B field, we'll go over there and pull our decoys. I don't want them to see the same thing every time. So then we'll go, but after the birds are left. So then once they started filling up and start jumping over and, and pouring into the other field, that's when we'll go into that field. And I'm telling you, when you go in, we'll go in and we'll hunt. We'll shoot one or two volleys. Then out we go. If I have to sit in the, in the blind, we'll pull, either sit in the blind or we'll pull out and sit in the trucks and we'll wait till dark to, pull, you know, to go pull up and, and grab all our decoys. But it is a great way that you can set up your own sanctuary feed. You just don't want to go in there. And I don't like taking a lot of guys. You don't want to burn it because then you're putting pressure. It really hurts to the field. Yeah, you don't want to take any chance of blowing the geese out of the big field because if you lose them, you might lose them in your area. 
So I'm still, you know, we're not hunting that field, where, but we're getting great shooting. And nine times out of ten, I'm not even have to call because these birds feel comfortable. They feel it's an overflow, you know. Now, if I'm in the bee field, then I'm having to pull the traffic. They they know they're going to be called at. They know they're because everybody else is hunting the bee fields. So a lot of things to think about, a lot of food to process and uh, go out there and, and think about this. But it's, you know, think about it. Just think about it and see if it, you know how it measures up to what you guys are doing now. And maybe it might be the help or the little uh, push to get you guys over the edge to, to start filling your limits or start getting more of those uh, volleys, you know, into your face and at your feet. So I appreciate you guys. God bless you. And I'll tell you what, hunt safe, hunt smart. And may the good Lord be your guide. Well, folks, thank you for listening to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast Show. Brought to you by Legendary Gear, the game call company that is legend by design. Be sure to check out all of our game calls at legendarygearusa.com. Legendary Gear has superior waterfowl and turkey calls to keep you tipping toenails. Every waterfowl call is hand-tuned by myself. So hunt smart and stay safe. This is George Lynch signing off until next week on the George Lynch Hunting Podcast Show.